Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Hey folks, Ashley here. I have a bonus episode for your feed. In April of this year, I profiled the union workers behind the Madison Sourdough Union. They won their vote on April 5th, 2023 to unionize and are now in the process of attempting to negotiate a contract. Recently, the unionizing workers filed an unfair labor practice complaint alleging that management has failed to give them information necessary to bargain in good faith. And two workers are joining me to discuss the current state of contract negotiations. A big focus of Boss Barista content lately has been about what happens after a union wins their vote and how negotiating can be arduous, especially when it feels like things are being delayed. I'll let the workers speak more to that. So here are Cal Pride and Teresa Schwar. I'm so thrilled to have two members of the Madison Sourdough Union with me here today. So I was hoping that you two could introduce yourselves, and I'll start with Teresa. Hi, I'm uh, Teresa Schwar. I work on the bread team at Madison Sourdough, and I've been a barista for many years as well. How long have you worked at Madison Sourdough? I have only been there since April. Cool. So that's in contrast to Cal, who I'm also going to have introduce themselves. Yes, hello. I am Cal Pride. I am a dishwasher at Madison Sourdough, and I've been working there since, God, I think around like the end of 2018, early 2019. Well, it'll be cool to have two different contrasting opinions, someone who's newer there and then someone who's been there for many, many years. But just to catch people up to the point that we're at, so you folks unionized won your vote in April, and now you're in the middle of this negotiation process. So I was wondering, Cal, if you could talk a little bit about the moment that you folks are at right now. We're at probably what's the not really thought about moment. Everybody likes to talk about the like the drive to unionize and to vote, and that's really cool and sexy and fun. To, there's a lot of momentum there. But we're we're in the long slog of negotiating a contract <laughs> now that now that we have a union, and we are about six bargaining sessions in, and hopefully we don't have too many more. But uh, that's up to the other side of the table at this point. Six bargaining sessions sounds like a lot. It's been about four months since your initial union vote went through, and I was wondering. After that union vote went through, what was what was the vibe like? And I'll ask Cal first, just because you've been there for a little bit longer than Teresa, I'll ask you. It's been interesting. It didn't help that like 
before the drive and during the drive, a lot of turnover was happening with a lot of older staff leaving due to either new job that they were planning on doing before or burnout or that kind of thing. Everybody in the bargaining committee has been very, were very hopeful and very excited to get a contract negotiated. Our boss made it clear that he wanted a quick and, and above board negotiation. And we're just ready to lay down some tracks and get, get it done. Teresa, what's the vibe been like for you, especially as someone who's a little bit newer in this organization? Yeah, like Cal said, the ownership was clear at my orientation that they were interested in whatever the team was interested in, and that was unionizing. Since then, the tone has been dragging feet at the bargaining table, the the tone in the actual bakery for as far as us working with the owners and management at the table shaping bread, the tone has shifted a lot in the last week even. So just a, quite a chilly front has come down the line. But overall, the vibe has been pretty pleasant. There's, there's this underlying tension, but day to day, we're able to kind of, we're making bread together, we're keeping it professional, but it definitely has gotten more and more tense as there's just been this continued reluctance to get anything done, any progress made at these bargaining sessions, which initially were scheduled only for two hours, which is just incredibly insufficient for making any sort of headway. You talk about one thing and they say, no, there's a revision, there's a counter proposal, you know, and then it's it's done. We were able to have an eight-hour session most recently, and that was more productive. Um, I think you know, being taking a little bit more direct action has has lit the flame a little bit in in recent, but it's still it's still tense. It's still slow progress. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about, you folks recently started an Instagram account, and one of the things that you talked about was this idea that you've had five, six bargaining sessions, and some of them have been really short. And I think someone might hear like two hours or four hours and think, oh, that's really long. But as you mentioned, Teresa, like that's enough time to make one proposal and then it get countered and go back and forth and you're not really sure what's really happening and then suddenly it's over. One of your colleagues who I talked to, Lolo Young, mentioned that this could have been done in an email, some of these first sessions. And Cal, I think you mentioned you were in some of those first sessions and I was wondering if you could talk about what the vibe was in those first couple of sessions. Well, the first actual bargaining day, all we got done was giving them our proposal, basically just reading it out the proposal to them and then and then file filing which i think it's now public record the ulp that was one bargaining committee or one bargaining session done and they were like no we still want to do every other week because scheduling is hard and then the next time we had a basically q a because they didn't read the the contract i guess or they did and they didn't understand it at all. So they just needed clarification. And that's all that got done that session, pretty much. So it wasn't until like, maybe the third or fourth that we actually, actually started negotiating, which is a little frustrating. But yeah, one of the things that I've seen mentioned when I talk to other people who are unionizing or are working with management is 
there are different ways that people talk about things and we can only guess why people talk about things in this in this way that they do but it seems from what you're describing there's this general sense of like shrug your shoulders i don't know like how does this work we don't know is that the vibe that you folks were getting kind of initially i'll i'll throw that one to teresa i'd say a little bit of that and a lot of kind of emotional deflection is how i best can describe it i just it feels like ownership is taking things just extremely personally in a way that they're leaning on and using to to slow things it's just like i don't know why this is happening i don't know we thought we were doing a good job but just like we're great we're great people it's just like even if this is a workplace this is a workplace that we love being at this is something that we want to be sustainable for our bodies for our minds for our finances and it isn't as it stands so it's a very simple it's just let's get something on paper so that we can feel secure let's get things a little bit better so that we can be here longer you know ownership taking that and just taking it personally in a way that you know, it's just like you know you could you could get hurt at doing bread and you know you would still be making income you'd still have profit from this business none of the, us are in that position there's no effort to come to our level and to see things the way we're seeing them that that like ignorance piece is, a, is a definitely feeling like a tactic the surprise that our vote was successful took i mean that was surprisingly surprising to them and then since then yeah there has been you know like no proposals brought to us and then a quick shift to their lawyer being the speaker at the table and the decision maker at the table just all things that are just kind of like that's fine she is gonna want to drag it on longer and i it seems to align with your desires as well and just a lot of tiring tactics Let's talk about your the lawyer Madison Sourdough hired, which is Littler Mendelssohn, and they're known for being the law firm that Starbucks hired for their union fight. And I've gone to their website, I've gone through different pages, and I think the words union avoidance is are used there. I won't use other words that might be a little bit more technical and a little bit more, a little harsher, but... Littler Mendelssohn has been there from the beginning. If you go to the NLRB webpage, you can see that Madison Sourdough hired them even before you won the union vote. So it's interesting that there's this like dichotomy of ownership maybe being personally offended or kind of we don't know what we're doing, a little bit of that ignorance, but at the same time having one of the most powerful law firms representing you. Cal, can you talk a little bit about like when that shift happened when like from management leading some of these negotiation talks to the lawyer finally stepping in? Yeah, so the first few contract negotiating meetings, it was very clear that they thought they had it under control, but they were very in over their head. And it was very clear that they were using the advice from their lawyer to stall. Our spokesperson at the table called them out on it multiple times i think that scared them into bringing the lawyer to the table to be their point person can you talk about the moments where your your representatives called them out like what were they what what did that look like or what behavior specifically were they saying this is stalling calling out the clear like them only asking questions them not bringing proposals teresa i think you said it earlier but even in the last contract negotiating meeting, they didn't bring a single proposal of their own. 
So basically, you folks came in there with proposals and they essentially received them. Yeah, and it's only been in like the last few that they have bought counter proposals. So, and that was only after the, the lawyer came in. What is this? felt like for you folks because we talked a little bit about as Teresa mentioned that there's been a lot of like personal kind of offense like we thought we were good employers we thought we were this this and that and I can't like say this point any more times I guess I can because I'm going to say it now like union negotiations are not personal like people fighting for like dignity at work is always a right and it's not about like telling someone they're bad it's just about people saying like we deserve dignity and respect at work but oftentimes i think people forget that like these are workers like like your people too people forget that like this is something that you are doing in your spare time and things like that so what is this like felt like for you especially when you hear stuff like why is this happening to us and we're feeling sad or whatever feelings are getting getting reflected back at you yeah for me you know it's it's very interesting walking into the scene i was able to vote just barely to unionize and it was very much a hell yeah unions and this is what the team that i just met wants so of course i'll vote yes and in every place i've worked and in a lot of places other people are worked working it's just like oh my god we we should all be unionizing because the the more that we do it the less personal it becomes and the more we have a chance to fight against the status quo for the restaurant industry at large this is not we are we don't get good wages. We don't get good protections. There's just a lot that goes down in restaurants where we are hustling. We are communicating with people all day, some of us, and just that's taxing. And I don't know, you know, it's taxing on the owners to be on the floor at the bakery. They know that they're not there as much as we are. Even if this is a, a nice job in terms of the restaurants at large, like that's the top of a slim benefit pool just there's not a lot here for us in the whole industry so if we're doing okay at this job that doesn't speak to the company as much as it speaks to just how poor this whole like just system is for this job type of job it's just something that needs a lot of movement and a lot of work and uh, i think it's exciting to be a part of something like that on a broader scale happening just like stepping up for ourselves and asking for what we're worth Cal, I've interviewed you before for an article that I wrote for Tone, pretty much like right, it published pretty much right after you folks won your union vote. And one of the things that you said that I thought was really interesting, and no one has really reflected to me, is that for you, a union would be really helpful just to have stuff written down and having clarification on like, what are the rules of this business? Like, how do we operate? And are we all like using the same set of standards to make decisions. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's one of those weird things with like working in, in, a, in a restaurant. Everybody's job is so different. They have a employee handbook that I literally can't remember if I was given one when I first worked there. I think like they gave me one to read when I was interviewed or something, but there's been a lot of indiscrepancies of like what you're allowed to wear, what's enforced and what's not. There's been a lot of discrepancies of like who gets job evaluations for raises. 
like some people they just get like a yearly like 99 cent or whatever if they like you or something or you have to do like an interview where they like sit down with you and are and talk to you about if you should have a raise or not or whatever and it's just very confusing and yeah i would just very much prefer to have a very clear thing in writing that both us and the our bosses agree on and that's not just their whims i guess one of the other things that came up in that tone piece that i wrote and maybe we can talk a little bit about this this is not a quote from either of you this is a quote from from one of your colleagues but one of the things that they said which i thought was interesting too is that having a contract is valuable even if you just agreed to exactly what was happening currently even if that was codified in a contract and that's not to say that that's what's happening with few folks you might be fighting for certain things you might not be but like the value of being able to have things written down that you expect to happen at work, I imagine is super valuable. I was wondering, Teresa, if maybe you could speak to that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, we have this employee handbook, you know, and it's all these things that we're supposed to agree to out the gate. And that's just what I see this contract as is like a handbook that we are kind of writing together. So at this moment right now, you folks have filed an unfair labor practice complaint with the National Labor Relations Board. And part of that complaint says that management is not bargaining in good faith by denying you information that you need. I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about the complaint. It was an information request, and it was to help us give insight into some of these these unclear things such as promotions and seniority stuff that we we feel is important based on on our coworkers that have poured years of of just like insanely quality work into this restaurant just ensuring that they're getting what's due to them that future us is getting what's due to us that it was the kind of information request on those kind of procedures which just wasn't really given back to us sufficiently at all. So we're talking about the information that you folks need to be part of that negotiation process. And as you mentioned earlier, you've been the folks kind of bringing stuff to the table. You've been bringing the proposals. You've had some, you know, not necessarily pushback, but kind of like, oh, like maybe we're not bringing as many counter proposals to you. But you also mentioned that this last negotiation session that you folks did was like the most successful. And I was wondering if you could talk about like what what things are feeling like now and do you think you're on like the do you think the momentum is going in the way of of getting stuff done that you need hopefully yeah being at the last bargaining session with that i was only at one before that as an observer but there was a lot of progress made this last one and a lot of progress is kind of a subjective term because there's like a preamble and a couple of paragraphs of things that were tentatively agreed to so you know in the grand scheme of the contract and this is the first part of the contract too that we we even have there's still just like many 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 hours ahead of us in terms of contract negotiation it's a lot of legalese it still seems like the prerogative is to or the goal is to to slow it down but it does feel like they're given an inch since previous bargaining sessions at the table so that's encouraging but 
it's important to stand together, just our, our, our staff and just being clear that we're not, we're not going to lay down and just let them drag this along. We're still, we're still fighting for this. And I think we, it's still important to be voicing our, our thoughts and our feelings and our concerns like we are here with you. Cal, do you have anything to add to that? I would like to add that Drew has not been there for the last three sessions. Uh, he is the co-owner with his wife, Emma, who has been there for all of them. But he is one of the people who has a lot of deep knowledge of the bake, of the patisserie, of front of house. He has finger his fingers in all of those pies, so having him at the table would really help speed things along if there are things that people might not necessarily have knowledge in and also like it's hard on them to be at the table but it's also hard on us to be at the table because a lot of us are full-time employees at madison sourdough and some of us will go to the table from work to then negotiate or some of us will be there on one of our weekend days to negotiate it's not fun to uh have to do a contract negotiation on one of your two days off of a week so while it's hard on them it's also hard on us but this is something that we want to fight for so even though it's hard on us we're gonna we're gonna be there for for the long haul hopefully and you don't get paid to negotiate correct and we do not get paid to negotiate no they have uh cited like Oh, childcare is hard to get. We have people on our on our committee that have children, and you know, there's more of us there than them to get to the table. And yeah, like you said, we're not we're not paid for it. It's long, tedious hours. Something that's not in our wheelhouse either, and it's pretty disrespectful to not show up to that to your company's bargaining session if you do intend to keep things moving. Yeah, like it's not. Like, we're doing this as a haha fun, good time. We love negotiating a contract as a hobby. Like, well, it's also not like we're trying to like extort them either, too. No. I mean, it's like it's just like we are trying to protect ourselves and trying to fight for our, and we're not trying to like do the 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 boogeyman of anti-union rhetoric of running the business into the ground uh we know this business is extremely profitable and we feel like with the work we put in and the hours and the discomfort of working a very difficult stressful job like this for how much money the business makes we deserve much better compensation especially with how Madison is with rent and how Madison is with housing. And on top of that, they have hired an extremely expensive lawyer that is has been there at the previous, what is it, four negotiations? So if they can afford this lawyer, they can afford to give us benefits and, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, Littler. I think we mentioned this earlier, but Littler Mendelssohn has also been there since the beginning, since at least since April. Af 
since not quite right when we let our boss know. But if if not right then, soon Shortly after. Shortly after. Yeah. By the time I was starting to check records in April, or maybe even late March, I, I saw Littler was listed on the NLRB, NLRB website. With that being said, how can people support you? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, supporting the business is what we want as what we we want to have this work. We love this work. We want to continue having it. We've done some calls of to action from the public, writing notes for for staff of encouragement and solidarity and uh we have events coming up and we'll continue to have events. We have a social media page, I think Cal, what's the It's on Instagram. It is uh Madison Sourdough United Workers. Yeah, and Facebook as well and Twitter I believe and following along when we do have specific requests, which we will we'll be having some events and fundraisers. We've got a mutual aid fund going. Uh you know, our health insurance is terrible. I can't I can't afford it myself and the 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 wear on the body is real so having a mutual aid fund for things like that or things just support for one another is really important to us right now so monetary support is helpful just showing up for us encouraging us sharing our stuff online you know we do it is a little bit about the pressure on ownership right now because like we said they have a very expensive lawyer at the table every time who is motivated to stretch this thing out and we're just we're trying to we're trying to get it done here cal do you have anything to add to that uh i mean most of the is things i agree with entirely definitely keep coming to buy bread and pastries and and food and coffee from us because showing the management that we're even more popular because people are excited about the union drive will show them that the public is excited about this as well. And if people know about it, just like letting front of house, like showing solidarity with front of house, letting them know that you know about what we're going through is going to be good. The hardest thing about this is keeping morale up and keeping energy. But, uh, well, I think we'll, get through this and have a good contract at the end so Teresa Cal thank you for taking time to chat with me I really appreciate it those were two of the workers from the Madison Sourdough Union you can follow what they're up to by going to their Instagram account Madison Sourdough United Workers which is all one word and there you can find links to their other social media handles, their Facebook, their Twitter, and you can also find links to their mutual aid fund. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're taking September off, so this is the last you're probably going to hear from me on your feed. We'll be back in October. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. 
We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.